The previous week before Nancy spoke last week on angels, uh, Vic had a tremendous message. And so two tremendous messages in a row. And I was like, Lord, that's a hard act to follow. What am I going to do? Because those are two really good messages. I mean, they really were just powerful. And I was like, "I, I, I can't follow that. I'd rather get somebody else. And the Lord gave me a bit of wisdom. He says, those were good messages. It's just how he said it to me. He says, so why don't you capitalize on them? And I went, yeah. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give a little bit about what inspired me about angels and in Vic's message about you are important and, and the life of Jairus, I got a lot of inspiration out of that, and I want to speak about that. So, And I think the two can kind of blend together. So, amen. We're going to start with angels. One of the things my wife brought up about... Um, uh, in a testimony about early on that we experienced, we believe, an angel that we were not aware of. We were not married yet. I did not know Jesus. I mean, I grew up in a Christian environment, and, and I knew a lot about Jesus, but I, I didn't know Jesus. And, and uh, we were out in the middle of nowhere, up near Paxton Lodge, and uh, we had got this wild idea, even though I had a, a Volkswagen bus, that we were going to hitchhike. And we get stuck there. And back in the 70s, people hitchhiked all the time. Yeah. It was a big thing, you know, you just hitchhike. And I always picked up hitchhikers. I mean, I used to have my Volkswagen bus just full of people. And uh, for whatever reason, we got this wild idea. And we get stuck at Paxson, and we see people come and people go, people come and people go, and we just are still stuck there. Yeah. Can't go anywhere. And we're sitting out there and cooking our food over a little uh, stove, and there's this guy standing over here in white shirt, black slacks. He looked like he worked at Kenny's Shoes, you know? And... Uh, He's just standing there, and my wife says, uh, we should invite him over for a bite to eat. And I said, nah, let's don't. And she said, yeah, we should. And so she uh, said, hey, you, you hungry? And he said, yeah, I'm hungry. And he comes right over. And so we finished cooking up this stew or whatever and split it up. And... and uh, he did the most amazing thing. He says, do you mind if I pray? Well, immediately Nancy says, because she's been witnessing to me, trying to get me to, you know, follow Jesus. And I'm real cool about it. Like, yeah, yeah, until it hits a certain point, And then I get angry, you know. But um, he prayed. I've never forgotten it. And he says, I just want to give thanks to the Father for this food. I was so mad because I was like, the father didn't give you that food. 
I did. You should be thanking me. Who are you? Those were my thoughts. <laughs> and he gave uh, thanks to the Father, blessed the food, and he blessed us. I do remember that. And we ate, and then he kind of walked off. We never saw another car come. We never saw him get picked up. We never saw a car take anybody away. But we're just stuck there still. And he's gone. And the, the scripture talks about that we should entertain strangers. Because by so doing, many have entertained angels. And you are unaware of it. So angels can participate in and out of our lives according to the will of God for them and for us and, 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 and do these interesting things. I'll, I'll tell you something that came out of that. A little bit of our testimony along with that is we still didn't get a ride. The guy that owned Paxson Lodge came out and said, you guys cannot keep sleeping out here. There's too many bears. He says, so come and sleep in the lodge. You know, I don't care. Sleep on the pool table, sleep on the benches, whatever. But be inside the building in, in, at night. And so we did that one night. And uh, the next day, we'd been there three days, I believe. The next day, my, my wife says, well, we need to pray. Something was happening in me. I said, all right, you pray, because I didn't know how. You pray, I'll, I'll agree. Yeah. I'll agree. So she prayed, and the thing that I had told her just before she prayed, I said, whatever car comes, it doesn't matter which direction, we'll run to that side of the road and hitchhike, because we got to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so she prayed, and sure enough, within minutes, we see a car coming down the road going back the wrong way towards Anchorage. And uh, we didn't care. We got our backpacks and ran over to the other side of the road. And, and I mean, we didn't look like the kind of people that you normally, but it was the 70s, so it was pretty common. And uh, this Eldorado, brand new Eldorado Cadillac, bright red with a white Landau top, white leather interior, a guy with a bolo tie and shirt, his wife with the big... And two little poodles. Not the kind of people that pick us up. <clears throat> Pulled over, picked us up, told us about the good things of God all the way back, said, where are you going? We, we lived up Upper Huffman Road in a cabin. Oh, we lived just down below there. Took us all the way home. That same week, we ran into a guy driving down the road. We were walking down the road, and he comes driving along. His pickup going the opposite direction, stopped, turned around, and said, you guys want a ride? And I said, no. I said, I don't want a ride. We weren't hitchhiking. And especially from somebody that turned around that was going the other way. Yeah. And he looks at me, and he says, God told me to pick you up. I had just said to my wife again, because see, I had gotten sensitive towards God, but then I got delivered out of that need. In my need, yeah, God can help me out, but I'm not needy now. So I'm back in, in my old way of thinking, saying, well, you know, I, I don't, you know, 
I'll go this far, but no further. And he says, well, God told me to pick you up. I had just said to her, if God is real, he's going to have to tell me himself. Within 60 seconds, God told me to pick you up. Probably he told everybody that. I don't know. But timing is everything. And uh, we end up in his truck. He ends up saying, I'll be here. And we didn't let people in and out of where we lived. We lived in a little group of cabins, group of people. And we were very protective about who we knew, who we let come into that situation. And uh, he was good. He said, I'll be here Thursday night to pick you up and take you to church. I, oh, okay. I was in that mode again. Like, see, something happened. And uh, by Thursday, I was out of that mode. And this guy pulls up in our, our yard, our driveway, and then to our place. He says, well, I'm here to take you to church. And I'm like, who are you? Anyway, he gets us there. End of the story is, I'm here today. All because I believe an angel interacted in our life at this point. Probably many other times I was not aware of. In Genesis chapter 19, there's a story about two angels coming and visiting Lot. God is about to destroy the city of Sodom. But Abraham had been praying and interceding, and he said, God, if there be 50 righteous, if there be 20, he's reasoning with God, if there be 10, and it narrowed down to Lot. Even though Lot had said his righteous soul was vexed. See, Lot was righteous, but he was also polluted. He was deluded. He was, he was unable. He was trapped. And two angels came to visit him, came to the house, and uh, they said, uh, you need to get your family out of here. You need to move them out because God's going to destroy this place. And I'm not going to read the whole story on that today. I just want to talk about their interaction with Lot. The, uh, they said, we'll sleep. We'll sleep in the town Tonight, we'll, we'll sleep in the courtyard of the town. And Lot said, no, don't do that. You, you, you need to stay in my house. Because he knew what kind of a city he lived in. And no sooner had they come in than the men of the city, it said, came out to Lot's house and said, send out those men to us that we might know them. That's a King James way of saying that we might have, I'm looking to see who's in our room right now, that we might have sex with them. Lot says, don't do this wicked thing. Do not. So much so that he even said, I have two virgin daughters. Let me send them out to you. And they said, no, we want to defile. What was happening here? What was going on? We want to defile. See, the spirit of the world and the spirit of evil recognizes obviously the spirit of God and the angelic works of God 
and they want to stop it in any way they can. The angels caused blindness to come over their eyes, and they were unable to see. I encourage you to read the story. It's in Genesis 19. But there's an interaction of two angels that God sent. Again, in Hebrews 13, 2, it says, Do not forget to entertain strangers. Be hospitable. You don't know. Could be a minister from God uh, sent to you for a reason. By doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. In Daniel chapter 10, there's a great story about um, Daniel is in prayer. And for 21 days, he's praying, calling on God for an answer. 21 days of fervent prayer. I give up after about 40 minutes. I'm like, yeah, I guess God doesn't want to answer that. (laughs) 21 days, he's fasting and praying and seeking God for an answer. Here's an interesting thing. God sends an angel to him. And the angel breaks through, comes to him, and he says, God heard you when you first began to pray. He heard you at the very beginning, but something happened. I was being resisted by the prince of Persia, the prince spiritual entity over Persia. Now, you've got to remember, Daniel is in Persia at this time. He's praying. I believe he is, isn't he? And uh, he's praying, the prince of Persia hindered me. So Michael, the archangel, came and resisted him, resisted the prince of Persia, and allowed the angel to come through and and tell. uh, I think I got that right. Um, We could read it, but I'd rather you go, I'm not sure about that guy's doctrine. I'm going to read it. So it's in Daniel's 10. Daniel chapter 10. Here's an interesting thing. Before I became a Christian, I went out to Dutch Harbor and I was fishing for crab out there. I was on the crab fishing boat and uh, it had some problems. It broke down, the the, uh, pump quit pumping water and all the crab died. And so I find myself in Dutch Harbor with no money coming my way, no opportunity for a short season, probably, to get back out. I checked with a, a couple other crab boats in the area and see if I could jump on with them, but they all had a crew. So I ended up working in this cannery. And the cannery was owned by a family that were Baha'i. Anybody here familiar with the Baha'i religion? Yeah. So they were Baha'is. And uh, just before I headed out there, everywhere I went, I ran into a Christian and they would witness to me. And they gave me these tracks. And they gave me this one little one called A Thief in the Night and another one called My Little Green Bible. And it had Bible verses. No man knows the hour in which I am to return. I come as a thief in the night. So I had all those little tracks. And, and like I said, I grew up in a Christian environment. I believed Jesus was, was the Lord. But I believed that, you know, also with that, when I'm in my 60s, I'll slip in. 
That was my plan. Slip in. Up until then, I don't need a crutch. I don't need religion. I don't need this stuff. Anyway, the only way to get into town was to ride from the cannery was to ride in on the Baha'i van that was going to the Baha'i meeting to learn about Baha'u'llah. And so I would go with another friend of mine. I don't know how far I want to get into that testimony. Anybody interested? So we would go. I made friends with this great big guy, big big black man, brother. And we would ride the Baha'i bus in. And as soon as we get off the, uh, the van, as soon as we get off the van, we'd hit the elbow room and then come back. Now, we knew this about the Baha'is because we worked with them there, was they're very tolerant of all religions. That's the thing, tolerant of all religions. And so we would come back from the elbow room, and they would be having their meeting, and then they'd sing some songs. And I'd always, I, w- I don't know, I don't think I was all that great of a guy. I thought I was at the time, but... Looking back on my life, I don't think I was that good of a guy. <laughs> anyway, I go, I got a song, I got a song, I got a song. And the leader would finally say, Mark has a song, because he knew what was coming, because we'd been there a couple times before. And I'd go, all right. And I had it queued up, and this black guy could really sing. And we'd start out, what a friend we have in Jesus. And I mean, he'd just do Southern gospel like you wouldn't believe. And I'd be singing it with him. And then I'd look out and I'd go, you're not singing. You're not singing. And they'd all start singing. Well, the end of that is that one of those guys came to me one day. He says, hey, I just wanted to thank you for all you told me about Jesus. I gave him all those little tracks that had been given to me. And, you know, I did tell him my answer for everything was, well, Jesus is the way. Because yeah. I knew that, but I didn't know what to do with that. I yeah, I wasn't walking in the way. I knew he was the way, but I wasn't walking in the way. And uh, so he comes and he says, I just want to thank you for all you told me about Jesus. And he says, I got saved last night. And I go, oh. Huh. And he goes, yeah, I gave my life to Jesus, and I'm getting out of here. So I'm leaving today, and I just wanted to thank you. And I'm like, okay, we'll see you later. <laughs> I didn't know what that meant. <clears throat> I'm going to do a little, bring it to, back to Daniel. The principality of the prince of the uh, prince of uh, uh, over Persia, the entity behind. See, we still have this spiritual warfare going on all around us all the time. The prince over Baha'iism, if you look into their doctrines, is the prince of Persia. Baha'u'llah's official title is prince. Of Persia. So the I bring that out so that we understand 
we still are in this warfare. There's an unseen world and an unseen battle taking place all the time. And it says in Hebrews uh, 1 through 4 that are not the angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who are heirs of salvation. So I want to say this. It's very important for us not to seek out angels. I don't seek to see an angel. I don't, I don't look after or seek after angels. I think if I actually were to see an angel and see it like for what it is, I'd be like Daniel. You know, my knees would be shaking and, and I wouldn't know what to do. So God disguises them for me on my behalf. My wife has seen angels. Um, I had an encounter with some angels one time, never saw them, but I heard them. I shared a little bit about this last week, and I want to close on the, on the angel part of this with this. We'd gone out. We were out in the woods. We'd left the boat in the river. We took off, and I got disoriented, and we were lost. And we had circled two or three times and tried different circles, and we just could not find our way back to the river. We thought, well, you know, the big trees are going to be by the river, but there were big trees everywhere because the river goes like this, basically, and it's getting dark, and it's late September, and there's no other boats. You can usually listen for a boat and go, oh, okay, I'm going to go this way. I heard a boat. Nothing. We're the only ones left on the river. No one else, not another boat. And I hear laughter. Children laughing. And I'm like, did you hear that? There's children playing down there somewhere. There's got to be somebody camped down there with kids. And I start walking towards that, and and then I get disoriented again. We're not sure. And I said, let's listen. Maybe they'll laugh some more. And sure enough, hear children laughing. And we keep walking towards that, and we come to the river. Now to decide which way the boat is on the river so we can make our way to it. We never saw anybody. And I was always like, wow, you know, I I wonder what what that was all about. Several years ago, a man, uh, Sukina, we were out having uh, lunch, and he said, oh, well, those were angels. And all of a sudden, the light went on. I went, yeah, but they sounded like kids. And he goes, yeah. Anyway, they are ministering spirits sent to serve those who are heirs of salvation. Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus is above the angels. Seek him. Angels are there for his for doing the works of God and for ministering to the heirs of salvation. They're not there for us to be seeking after angels. I want an encounter with an angel. I want to see an angel. I want to do these things. I really caution you in that. But to recognize it when you see it, my wife has seen angels. I know a few years ago we had some friends who were catching pictures of angels on their phone. Everywhere they went, there was these little pictures of angels on their phone.
I think what they found out was the lens of their camera was spotted. Anyway, I'm not sure how all that works, but I don't think we're supposed to run around doing that. That's all I'm saying about that. But I know that you have an angel. I know that there was a picture in my room growing up of an angel, a little kid and an angel. What was that picture? We bought one for our grandson. I think those are a good thing to have for your children. There was another picture in my room of Jesus holding the lamb. I think that was a great picture growing up. The one thing I didn't think was good growing up was the prayer my parents taught me. If I die before I wake, because I didn't want to die. You know, I'm like, hey, I don't want to die in my sleep. This is a scary dream or a scary prayer. So uh, it's good to teach your kids to pray, but teach them the promises of God. You know, like uh, he gives us angels uh, to encamp around us and to give us sweet dreams and sweet sleep, those type of things. But, you know, maybe you want to keep the death part out. Um, The other thing I want to bring up is about Jairus. Our brother Vic was talking about Jairus, and it inspired me. He was talking about, you are important. And uh, I suddenly started thinking about this guy, Jairus. Who was Jairus? And he, he touched on it. You know, Jairus was a religious leader. He was the head of a synagogue. He had status. He had a place of importance. He was religious, It's important to know he was pious and he was religious and he was living according to his religion. And he had to break from that somewhat from the peer pressure all around him because you got to understand when he went to Jesus among the peers of Jairus, Jesus was labeled as a, a troubler of Israel. He's a troublemaker, he's a drunk. He's a glutton. He hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. They had already pigeonholed Jesus as this person over here. Desperation caused Jairus to step outside of that religion and go after Jesus. And it says when he came to Jesus, he fell on his knees and he pleaded for him, come, heal my daughter. My daughter's sick. Come and heal her. And immediately Jesus started going with Jairus. But something happened along the way. A woman came and said, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Now, people are pressing Jesus around him all the time. But he knew when this one person touched him because their faith, something happened. And he got a hold, she got a hold of, of Jesus' garment, and it said virtue went out of him. Power went out of him. And he stops in the midst of that, and he said, who touched me? His disciples are like... What? Everybody's touching you. He said, no, who touched me? For power went out of me. And he stopped and he spent time with this woman. And Jairus had to be saying, out of desperation, what are you doing? This is an urgent matter. This is extremely urgent for me. My daughter is sick. And Jesus is suddenly... From going with Jairus to taking care of a situation here, and and he speaks to the woman, and Jairus is 
you know, I cannot imagine what's going on in his mind because he's desperate, he's urgent. How many of you have urgent things and all of a sudden you find God's urgencies do not match up with yours? You know, I need it, I need it now. God, where are you? Answer me. Why? If God loves us, why would he not be as urgent about our things as he is? Because he already knows the answer. But he was trying to get to something deeper in Jairus. He was trying to move Jairus from desperation... And out of desperation, calling upon God. I cannot tell you, there were several times in my life where out of desperation, I called on God. And as soon as that matter settled itself, I went my way. But he was moving Jairus from desperation to brokenness. You see, when Jairus' daughter was sick, he was desperate. Come, heal my daughter. I've heard these stories about you. You're not unknown to our religious community. We all don't like you. But I've also heard stories that you can heal the sick. So I'm breaking from that. I'm breaking from that pattern and I'm coming after you and asking of you and suddenly Jesus just stops in that urgence moment in that in the midst of his desperation and then Jairus gets the word never mind don't bother Jesus your daughter's dead I don't know how many of you experienced death to a loved one close to you probably everyone depending on how close they were to you makes even more of a difference. But you move from desperation to sudden brokenness. Jairus moved from desperation of his daughter being in need to his daughter being dead. Suddenly he is broken. Psalm 51 says, God is not necessarily pleased with our offerings but a broken heart he will never turn away from. When when David wrote the Psalm 51, he was writing about this God who dealt with him at a time when Nathan the prophet came and exposed that he had committed adultery and that he had put the woman's husband to death. And he had moved into a place of brokenness. There is a big difference between being desperate and being broken. And there's a big difference in the way God responds responds to those two things. He He responds to both. But there's a difference in the way he responds. I believe that he was trying to get Jairus to break from his desperation, to break from his religious 
having a form of godliness, the Bible speaks of it, but denying the power thereof. To all of a sudden recognizing Jesus as a healer and a teacher, rabbi, teacher, to he raised the dead. Truly, he must be the Son of God, as he said, as all are saying. He wanted to move him out of his religious mentality. How many labor under a religious mentality? You know, before I was even a Christian... I labored under a religion, religious mentality. You know, people that don't belong to any, any organized group of religious people, that the world, if you would, they're still religious. They're still religious. And what is the common factor between those in the church, you know, as a part of the church, we're not a part of religion, right? No, we can become religious at any given moment. And so is the total unbeliever person in the world who's saying, ah, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You guys are a bunch of this and that. And I, I don't have an argument with them. I'm like, yeah. They don't need tremendous discernment to know that either. But they're just as religious. And what makes that common denominator? Jesus put it this way. Be careful how you judge. He didn't ever say, do not judge. But when you do judge, judge righteously. Judge not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He said, be careful how you judge. Now, how we judge falls into this category, I believe. Paul, the apostle, put it this way. He says, do not compare yourselves among yourselves, for that is not wise. I'm a Christian now. I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do. So I'm a Christian. I'm cleaned up my life. Had a great conversation with our brother Jason a few weeks ago and talking about the difference between just the church causing us to change our behavior compared to allowing Jesus to transform us into his image. Changed behavior will not change the world. Anyway, be careful how you judge. Well, you know, I don't smoke any longer. So I'm with a group of people and I go, oh, Leroy over there smokes. Huh. Now all of a sudden I'm a little bit better. I'm a little bit better than Leroy. Because Leroy still smokes. But my wife and I play cards, and our friends over here find out about it, and they don't play cards. And they find out we play cards, and they're like, You play cards? We don't think that's right. Now, all of a sudden, they're a little bit better. You see, when we judge, we need to be careful how we judge. It says, 
Judge the fruit, but never judge yourself as better than anybody else. And I got a bunch of scriptures. Get out your pens or your little notebooks or whatever. I'm running out of time. Galatians 6, verses 4 and 6. Matthew 7, 3 to 5. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Luke 18, verse 19. And I'm going to close with another kind of judgment. This judgment is the word never. Never say never. I hardly ever. (laughs) He found a way of escape. Um, Never say never. You, You know, my wife and I'll get into arguments. She's Italian. I'm Scottish. It's a natural part of life. We always solve them. But part of that argument often is, well, you always and you never. Anybody ever do that? Never. You never do that. You always. Well, Simon Peter did something along those lines. Jesus told him, I'm going to go to the cross and die. And Simon says to Jesus, he says, never, my Lord, never. Powerful word right there. Never, my Lord, never. Because it was challenging Peter's dream. Peter's dream was, Jesus, we're right on the, we're, we're on the breakthrough. You're about to sell books. We're about to go on the circuit. Your popularity is at a rise. We're about to t- take over. You're going to be the main conference speaker out there. You're going to have books and sell them by the millions. You know, well, eventually when TV's invented, you'll be on it. You've got this stuff. And Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross and die. And Peter says, never. And Jesus rebukes him. He says, no, you don't savor the things of God. You're savoring the things of man. Don't ever say that. Never. How many times have you judged somebody by using the word never? Growing up, I did it all the time about my parents. My dad would do this. I'll go, I'll never do that when I have kids. Huh. God laughs when you say never. My wife and I went to Colorado to a conference. She drugged me there. I don't care for conferences that much. She drugged me to this conference. I said, okay, let's go. It was pretty good. I liked a few of the people. The rest, eh. They felt the same way about me. Anyway, we're there in Colorado Springs. I said to her, we went out of this conference thing. We're looking up around there. The mountains are dry. They're not green. There's a little green spot here and there, but it's, it, I guess it's winter. I can't remember. And I go, I would never live here. I remember that very clearly. I said to her, who in their right mind would live here? I would never live here. 
Sorry, Jonda. <laughs> Two years, God had me living in Colorado Springs. I don't know how it happened, but he, he's got a way. And I learned about this never say never. I will never be like that person. I will never be like my parents were. You will be just like that because as you judge, so it will be measured unto you, and you'll do, find yourself doing it too. That's why Jesus said, be careful how you judge. He didn't say, never judge, because we know there are things that we should not be doing. But there are things we should not be doing. And we judge according to how our measure is. Mine is I don't smoke. So if you do, I'm better than you. We need to become a people that walk in a conscience that's clean before God. I want my conscience clean before God. And when I'm working on that... I can entrust that my brethren are doing the same. And I don't have to gauge them and compare myself to where they're at. So important. It's so freeing. Are all the kids back now? All right. I think I'm going to close there. I hope I did these two brother, brethren, their, uh, my wife and, and Vic, their message justice and not took away from it. But I, I kind of got really inspired the last two messages. And, uh, and I wanted to just capsize that. Let's all stand. Can we close with a song?